week 13, the real issues. Last week in Romans chapter 8, we were talking about the idea, do you walk according to your flesh or do you walk according to your spirit? When your mind is realigned with Holy Spirit, the progress of your life is directed by Holy Spirit who lives within us. But do you walk according to what the Spirit's doing or do you still walk according to what you claim is your old man? When we believe in Jesus, we die to self and we're reborn in Jesus' name. And for the rest of your lives until God makes us whole again, and when I say makes us whole again, he's already made whole our, our spirit. He's transforming our souls, and eventually that's going to be reunited with a new body on a new earth. But until that day comes, you're always going to have this war between your old man and the new man. And the new man is the man that Jesus redeemed, that re, re, redeemed you, let you be reborn out of the old man into the new man. And the new man is who he knew before you were even in your mother's womb. And he says, for the rest of your life, I want you to walk by faith and not by sight into this new man. And there's going to be things that you may not like at first. And there's going to be things that's going to make you uncomfortable. But I know your new man much better than you know your new man. And if you would continue to die to the man that you know in the old self, you will come alive in Christ, walking into the new nature that you were intended to walk into for all eternity. It's not natural to want to love people who don't deserve it, but for your new man, it's very natural. But you have to start to agree with the new natural and come out of alignment with the old natural that most of us still walk in, and we just try to get it quiet for an hour or so on a Saturday night or Sunday morning. That's essentially the status of the church. Let's get our old man to shut up for one hour and a half, one day a week, so we can give God praise, just so that we can feel better about going back to old habits, old habits the rest of the time. And God's like, no, 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 I don't want you to come here to check off the I went to church card. I actually want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind into your new nature that you don't fully know yet. Does this make sense? If your mind is on him, your old man nature of sin would start to diminish and life in the spirit, you're always moving forward. So if you get in a place where nothing else is changing, we have to check where is our mindset. We've got to check where is our mind focused on. Is it on what I want or is it what he wants? Is it on old self or is it on new self which is perfected into right standing? God cannot let sin into heaven. So your new nature is perfect. And that's hard for people to understand because you're like, well, I'm not perfect. Well, the you that you're referring to is the one that you claim died. But you keep walking in old habits that have no life. So get to know the new you because trust me, you don't know the new one all the way. There's parts of you that are starting to get to know him. Those parts are starting to line up with God, line up with law. Not that you're trying to get law right, but it's, it starts to be this natural response as you're walking by the direction of the Holy Spirit, by the direction of God, and eventually you get new desires. You start to fade away from old ones. You start to change because you're starting to meet the true you that you think is new, but it's actually original. Does it make sense? Okay. So in Romans chapters 1 through 8, Paul really focused on man's needs. 
and God providing us what we need through the Holy Spirit by the way of Jesus making us right. Well, Romans 9 takes a shift. He starts to address a condition of the people of Israel. If Israel missed Jesus, what does it mean for them? I mean, think about it. Like Romans 1 through 8, he, he's talking about, you know, a man's knee, getting the focus off of man's knees and understanding that God's going to provide us what we need if we will focus on him. Well, then he starts to take a shift and he says, well, Israel missed it. Oops. So what does it mean for the ones that missed it? And really, what does that mean for us? How does God save people who reject him? Because I don't know about you, but there are times in my walk every day where God gets rejected in my decisions. And, you know, Christians never, never reject God, but we do. When God says to do something and you don't do it, you rejected him. And that's a hard thing to take, but you're welcome. Y'all loosen up? We reject God. So if we reject God, what does that mean for us? And this is where Paul starts to go in Romans chapter 9. So in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, it says this. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. This, this, this is a scary way to start off a message. He's like, I'm going to speak utter truthfulness with Christ as my witness. So if you don't like what I'm about to say, let, let me let you know that this is where it's coming from. With God as my witness, I'm going to speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Now you talk about a prayer. Paul just said, I would rather be away from God and spend eternity in hell if it would mean someone else came to know him. Talk about a selfless prayer. At the end of Romans 8, remember Paul assures us in the last verse, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Like nothing. Not angels, not demons, not death, nothing. Yet here... Paul's heart is filled with grief and sorrow because he has it for a people that have been separated. So, like, we can't be separated, but there's people that have been separated, but don't worry, nothing can separate you. You ever notice how, like, the Scripture does that? Like, one verse, it talks about all the stuff, and the very next one, it's like, mind blow. That doesn't even make sense with what you just said. Right? Like there's three or four chapters on spiritual gifts, and then it says, but wait, there's one better than it all. Just love people. Right? And then people say, oh, I can just love and take away everything else. No, that doesn't mean take away everything else. The Bible is true. It's for today. Shut up. Right? I'm sorry. I know. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Yet he starts talking to these people that have been separated. He says, I would be willing to be cursed and cut off if it would mean that all of these people who don't know him would be saved. That's love. That is a true servant taking on the likeness of Christ. What did Christ do? I'll take the punishment if it would mean life for everybody else. Which says a lot about Paul's mindset. 
Last week, we talked a lot about mindset. Set your mind on him, not your flesh. Paul was so focused on not the issues he was dealing with. Paul was focused on a greater issue. The other issues seemed trivial to him because for him, the biggest issue was that people don't know Christ. People don't know God. And there are so many of us in this room that get caught up with petty worries of this world because we, we are not obsessed with the greater issue. Like, like we get offended if someone says the wrong thing when you go to work with someone that's destined for hell and you're more offended that the AC broke than their life. Like, you're more offended at what someone said about you than the fact that there are others out there who don't know God. Let's talk about the real issues at hand. You want to know why we, the church, are not being effective in the world? Because we're getting too caught up in petty, flipping issues, and we need to get obsessed with the real ones. There's people who don't know Christ. There are people who think that the best way to protect themselves is opening fire in a, in a street in Savannah where a two-year-old got shot last night. And you're, you're, you're worried that, like, your bank account has $10 less than it did the day before? Right? Is it okay? Like, there's so many petty issues. And God says, I will take care of all of those needs. I know you need financial stuff. I know you need your, your rent taken care of. I know that you need this. I know that you need that. I know that you need stuff to eat. But if you would get focused on the real issues, you would actually trust that I'd take care of all the other ones that you were never meant to focus on. Like, think about it. Think about the garden they didn't have to work for their food. They were worried about the real issue. God gets all praise. And their food was provided. They were in perfect right standing with God. They were focused on the real issue. All glory to God. All glory to God. Well, if are we truly focused on the real issue of all glory to God if we know people who don't give him glory and we're not obsessed with the fact that they don't know them and you don't want to spend time with helping them get to know them because you don't like them so much because of this issue and that issue and they treated you this way and they treated you that way and they don't deserve and they don't deserve. The real issue, my friend, is that you didn't deserve either and you're called to love them like the one that loved you even though you didn't deserve his love. The real issue, we get obsessed with petty worries, and it distracts us. Matthew 6.25 says this, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? See, this is scripture. I wasn't just making up or going on a rant. What is the key of not worrying about that stuff? How is it that I don't worry about what I eat or what I have to wear? What do I get my mind on the real issue? And Paul is bothered with a real issue. I have come to learn the more I get obsessed with the real issue, the more my issues don't bother me. And then I get so convicted when I'm bothered by one of my issues because it seems so trivial compared to the real ones. And God doesn't say, like, I, I don't get the issue met in that moment. 
that my petty issue gets fixed when I simply shift my focus to the real one. And he says, now that your mind is set where it needs to, let me do my job. Okay. Look at verse 4 through 5. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them this law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Paul says, God has blessed us with all these privileges and special adopted sons and daughters. Right? Like we we talked about that last week. You are an adopted son or daughter of God. Not because you deserve that, but because he chose you. He said, I'm going to adopt you into my family. Right? And Paul reminds us, God gave this. Glory to the adopted sons and daughters of God. The glory here that is actually being referred to is the word called Shekinah. Shekinah glory. And what that was, it was the visible cloud showing God's presence among the people. He said, God did all this stuff for the people of Israel. I gave you like evidence I was with you. I met your needs. I performed miracles. And let me just talk about miracles for a second. We were never designed to be supposed to have our mindset of I need a miracle. Can I go there? What was a miracle for? When they were walking in the wilderness and they couldn't get anything on their own accord. Because the ground was not meant for them to produce. You can put water in sand all day, but you ain't going to get a garden. The only way a garden would produce from sand in a desert is by a what? A miracle. Y'all hear me? When they got to the promised land, they didn't need any more miracles. They had land that was respond to them. They had everything they needed to get food, to get water. In the wilderness, they were depending on manna. That word meant whatever it is. I'll give you whatever it is you need in that moment. That's miracle living. The issue with the church is that we've been taught, or some of us have been taught, just pray for a miracle. Well, I'm going to receive a miracle if God wants to give it to me, but I don't want to be focused on living by a miracle because I'm supposed to be in a place where if I'm under the kingdom government of God, I'm going to manage my world, manage my life according to his will, and when I'm in that, there is no need. If there is no need, you don't need a If you're not living according to his need, you gonna need a miracle. And the real issue is that you claim to be sons and daughters under his protection who don't have needs, but the church needs more miracles than the lost people. And because we don't get that, the real issue is that we come to church, we want the kind of glory, and God's like, You don't need a Shekinah glory when I put myself in your bodies. Right? Well, we want to see the, the, you know what the presence of God is? I talked about this in in pre-gathering prayer. 
There is actually no Hebrew word for presence. You know what the word used for presence is in the Bible? Face. The presence of God is not a thing, it's a person. Y'all just went blank. It's a face-to-face encounter with the Almighty. And the church has gotten to this, well, we need the presence of God. And we define presence by miracles release and people falling out and doing all this stuff. Does that stuff happen? Sure. Is that the goal? Heck to the no. You carry the one you walk face to face with. And when two or more gather, there's a greater uh, 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 understanding that he is here because we're all together in the name of the one we're face to face with. And when you're face to face with him, eventually we need to get to a place where we're not depending on a miracle. But we're the ones that he throws out miracles through for the ones who need, and that's where we're getting our mindset on the real issue. Is this okay? I mean, think, think, about, think about what's happening in just Savannah right now and the world, but let's, let's think local for a second. All kind of confusion. People getting shot. There's you know there, there, there's more there's more gay pride than 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 godlike pride. There's I mean there's all this stuff going on in Savannah, right? What's the real issue? The church is coming into places like this, and not taking his face anywhere they go. We want the presence of God to sweep over the nation. We'll take his face into your boss's meeting on Monday. Take his face to your husband or or wife at home. Take his face to your children when they're acting up and you need to correct them. Let them see God and not your temper. Let, let Let Savannah see God and not our bumper stickers. Like that's pretty sad you have to tell people you're a Christian. You know how they got the name Christians? Society marked them with that name because how they lived and how they acted. It wasn't a checkbox on the census report. But we don't carry his face anywhere. That's the real issue. And because we don't carry him in all parts of the world, so many people don't know him, and the only version of him they know is a polluted version that I wouldn't even want to worship. Is that okay? Okay. God did all this stuff for the people of Israel. He's God. Jesus is God. Jesus is worthy. But the people of Israel missed the Messiah. They rejected him. Jewish people still today are praying for the Messiah to come. They missed him. There's many people today that think, As long as I worship a higher power, I'm good to go. You're missing him. Paul is overcome with grief and sorrow because the people that God did all this for, that he came for them, they rejected him. And Paul says the issue with that, with all that God has done, done, has that there are still people who reject him and miss him. Are you concerned with the real issue that people are lost, that people are rejecting him? Or... 
Are you fine priding yourself in the fact that you aren't lost? Because let's just be honest. Most of the church is perfectly fine that we know Jesus. And most church gatherings as we come here, not relentless, hopefully, but we come here in church and talk about how bad the world is. Because we pride our, ourselves that we are not dealing with the issue they're facing. Well, the world is horrible and God's going to come back. Okay, but are you priding yourself that you don't have the issue? Or are you humble enough to understand that they're dealing with an issue that should be your main focus? Is this making sense? So a question is posed in verse 6. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Hmm. It isn't that God's word didn't come through for Israel or, for, or to fulfill promises. Because the promise was that he was going to redeem Israel. It's not that God's word didn't come through. It's not that God failed the people. Paul is addressing this question. How do I know God will come through for me? And the answer, it isn't that the word of God or God didn't come through. The real issue isn't that God doesn't come through with a promise for all people. The real issue is are the people governed by the God that came? Because it says not all of Israel got it. That doesn't mean that God only came for a select few from Israel. That means God came for Israel and some walked under his kingdom government and some stuck to their government. Some went with him and some stayed exactly where they were at. It's called free will. And our will to reject him does not put a title on God as someone who did not fulfill promises. When you're in a place where you've got needs that are not being met, well, I thought God was, to, was supposed to provide my every need. The scripture says, for those who seek me. If God's not providing all you need, maybe it's because you haven't included him in the conversations and decisions that have brought about the needs that he int never intended for you to have. Or... You made bad decisions and you're in the wrong place and you haven't begun to seek God so that he makes all of those wrong paths work together for the good of those who are seeking him. Well, God's going to provide my need. God's not providing my needs. Why is it he showing up? Because you didn't. Is this too much? See, not all of the nation of Israel are members of God's people. Not all of Israel is Israel. You see, one meaning of the name Israel is actually governed by God. Just because you're born an Israelite doesn't mean you're governed by God. You're not truly Israel unless you're under his government. We're all adopted into him 
as sons and daughters. Which means that we may not have been born Israelites, but when we seek him, guess who we are? Israel. Just because you're born a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you were born and your mommy and daddy made you go to church does not mean you know him. Just because you got christened or dedicated or baptized as an infant does not mean that you don't have to worry about anything because you're good to go. Just because Israel's been put over your life don't mean you Israel. Just because you check off Christian in the voting boxes doesn't mean you know God. Look at verse 7. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, through Abraham, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise. Someone shout that, promise. Children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God has promised, I will return about this time next year. Sarah will have a son. Now remember, they ain't exactly in baby-making season. That's all I'll say about that. Paul's explaining, just being a descendant does not save you. Ishmael was just as much of a son of Abraham as Isaac was. But Ishmael, it says, was a son according to the flesh. Isaac was a son according to the promise. What was the promise? I'm going to come and I'm going to make sure that Sarah provides what you need because that need is in line with my need. Isaac stood for children of the promise. Ishmael stood for children of the flesh. What does that mean? It does not mean that God made some to be with him and some are not. This is a scripture where if you talk to anyone that, if I, I'm, a, I, I'm worried I'm going to get in trouble about this someday, but so be it. This is the scripture that most Calvinists derive their, the, their theology from. They believe that there is an elected few that are meant to be selected, elected as children of the promise. Y'all following And some are not. This is not what this means. That's almost like saying some people are born as mistakes and their mistakes are going to burn. No, no, that doesn't make sense. The Bible says, I formed you all before you were even in your mother's room. I knew you before anyone knew you. God has a purpose for everyone. This does not mean that he created a bunch of people and he's going to show how great people are by killing some and keeping a few. That's stupid. I've been talking to people these past couple of weeks. I don't know why this is getting brought to my attention, but everyone's talking to me about theology. And I just want to say sometimes, like, could you just shut up? But I talk anyways. And people, and not, not, not y'all. <laughs> y'all are perfect. <laughs> but people are, they're talking to me about this theology and what do you believe about this and what do you believe about that and why don't you believe there's an elect and why don't you? Because God is not that what's a good word evil he knows everyone and then they're released into the earth 
So this doesn't mean that like some people are born as mistakes and some people are born as planned. Everyone's born as planned. What Paul is using this example to talk about a real issue that the only way to God is his promise. Not natural deserving. Natural has nothing to do with promise. But you choose to walk in promise or you're natural. Will God come through for me? That is not the question. The question is, are you under covenant with the one who always comes through? Or are you in a mindset of I deserve because I'm a Christian? I deserve because I got baptized. I deserve because God promised it to me. 1 Corinthians says this in 15.10, Whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. Not without results. I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Dang, Paul. Humble yourself. Yet, it was not I, thank you for humbling yourself, but God who was working through me, by his grace. When you're under his government, his grace is working through you. And you can work as hard as you want, but you can never assume you get it because of your work. Some people produce great things. But, there's, but their greatness is in flesh and your greatness is in a kingdom governed by a God who graced you to govern. And when you govern under grace, you give all glory to him. There's children of the promise, and there are children who are all about their flesh. He says it again to prove the point. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to the, the election point. Is it making sense? Verse 10, this son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, which means both, both of them were perfect before they were born. Are y'all hearing this? She received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. God chooses you and predestines you with a purpose. Not according to your good works or according to your bad works. Let me say that another way. Your purpose is not robbed from you because your life has been full of bad stuff. Because you didn't earn the purpose. The purpose was placed on you. Hear me again. Dang. All right, God. We know your wrath and all, so just... We love you, Lord. Your purpose does not get robbed because of how bad you've done your life. Because how good you did it never earned the purposes either. The purpose was placed on you. Not by your deserving, not by your work, but because he had a purpose for you. 
in the natural way of the flesh, the older should have been served by the younger. But God told their mama, I want the older to serve the younger. Because my purposes are not governed by the fruit of your flesh. Regardless in what order you have your kids, I have set a purpose on each of them. And just because you've done some things outside of my time doesn't mean my purpose is going to change. Just because one's older and one's younger. Okay. I knew, he says, I knew, who are we talking about? Jacob and Esau. I knew Jacob and Esau before they were born. And no matter what order they were born in, Esau was always destined to serve Jacob. Not because one did bad and the other did good, but because I have a purpose for each of them. Maybe a real issue is you think you're better than you really are. If you had a mindset like Paul and Moses, what was their mindset? I would rather be disconnected and gone and go to hell if it means that someone gets to know him. If we had that kind of a mindset, focused on the real issues, you wouldn't be so offended at all the trivial stuff. And when someone else starts to rise up in the eyes of man and you don't, you wouldn't get offended because they're getting further than you. Because maybe you need to realize it was purpose that they do that and it was never purpose for you. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean your purposes are any less than theirs. Now here is where a tough theological concept comes in. Because in some versions, verse 11 says, purposes of God according to election. And in the very next verse, verse 13, it says this, in the words of Scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Some versions say hate, hated Esau. But if you look at the original word hated there, it doesn't mean the hate that means you think it's rejection. We can see that Esau, even though God rejected him, was a very blessed man. In Genesis 33 and 36, it says Esau had plenty, he had wealth, he had multiple wives, amen, he had no, sons, <laughs> don't, don't, I don't even know thunder, cattle. It says he had so much possession that him and Jacob couldn't even dwell on the same land. That's a lot of stuff. But there is much more going on here than meets the eye. And there's much more going on that special people call this an elected few. They real special. They need deliverance special. It's kind of a mild joke. Chill out. There's more going on than meets the eye. Jacob was later renamed. You know what he's renamed? Israel. The father of Israelites. Esau was also referred to as Edom. He was the father of the Edomites. This had nothing to do with God hating people and loving others. God says, my chosen people are Israel, and I choose Jacob 
to be the first of many. The rest of y'all are like Esau's Edomites. Y'all aren't my first choice. I'm going to Israel first, and then everyone else gets a chance just like Israel. He says, my chosen people were Jews and then Gentiles. And we, I really want to paint this picture clear because we don't get offended by that, right? We're, we just, okay, well, okay, God's chosen was, the, was the, the, the Jewish people and then they're Gentiles. And praise God that we have just as much right because most of the chosen people, the Jews, they're still praying for the Messiah. And we understand that he has already come. We get it, right? Even, even in Romans, and we, we talked about this, how... Um, Paul had had to address the fact that everyone had different beliefs and, and even in Acts, people were dealing with cultural issues, but the main thing was the main thing. If you understand that he is the only one that saves you, that's where we need to focus. And all the other stuff will get in line as you walk with the one who saved you, right? We don't get offended at that. But for some reason, we take this thing about Jacob and Esau and we think, well, okay, well, Esau, God never wanted, it wasn't that God never wanted him is God had a purpose for accepting Jacob and rejecting Esau in the idea that Jacob was always meant to be the father of Israel and that was the issue he had to deal with first, whether you like it or not. The Edomites were known to aid Israel's enemies in attacks. They brought on curses. They didn't choose to obey God. They didn't go to, you know, Jacob, or, or I'm sorry, they, they didn't go to, um, yeah, they didn't, they didn't go to Jacob and say, hey, teach us. They just rebelled against him. Why? Jealousy, envy. Well, I should have been chosen first. But isn't that what Christians think? We want first in everything. We want the wealth. We want the glory. We want the fame. We want the big church. What if God purposes you never to have that stuff? Do you consider it rejection or do you consider it purpose? The real issue, are you okay with what God has called you to be? Or do you have an idea that you're trying to get God in line with? Is it really all that different than people being mad at God and blame him for not coming through? Elected. This is what elected means. I have a purpose for all. Get election out of your minds when it comes to certain ones. I have a purpose for all. Certain ones are elected for certain purposes and others are not. Just because you're not elected for that purpose doesn't mean you can't be adopted in. Not everyone is purposed to be an apostle, a prophet, a teacher, a pastor, an evangelist. We can get, you know, butthurt about, well, why, why don't I get one of the five-fold ministry gifts? You left me out, God. You were not elected for that part. They were elected to be humble to make sure you succeed in everything in your life that God has purposed for you with that gift that they were elected for. You were elected for something else. I was elected for something else. Let's understand election is not one with, one without. It's everyone is elected to specific things. And that doesn't make one man's thing greater than yours. Get out of flesh and get in. We are all the body of Christ. 
The big toe is just as important as the head. Because without the big toe, the head's off balance. Verse 14. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I'll show mercy to anyone I choose, and I'll show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. You don't get mercy and compassion because of deserving. He chooses to display it over anyone he wants to because no one deserved it, and he chose you. First the Jews, then the Gentiles. First Israelites, and then there is a purpose for it. But you have to choose him. And choosing him looks like him governing you. Mercy is not a right. It is God's desire for you. Look at verse 17 through 18. The scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, that this is what every person backs up with election with with Pharaoh. God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Now here's the tough stuff right here. Well, if God allows anyone a chance to follow him, why are we told that he hardened Pharaoh's heart so he refused to listen to God. Y'all ever heard this argument? Well, let's talk. God allowed Pharaoh to rise to power so that God could show his strength. And we read the parts of the Bible where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But we skip the verses when the hardening was in fact over. Because God hardened his heart for a purpose. Because God can accomplish anything through which he chooses. Anything. And we skip the verses when God lifted the hardening. In Exodus 7, 8, and 9, if you want to read it, we see Pharaoh hardened his own heart by rejecting God's ways. In Exodus 6, God says, I will cause his heart to be hardened so that I can show how much more powerful I am. He hardened it for a purpose, to display his glory, to display his magnificence. How? God gave a command with a cause and effect because he knew Pharaoh's heart. He basically said, Pharaoh, you need to listen to me, and if you don't, plagues. Exodus 7, Pharaoh's heart was stubborn to all the demands, which made his heart even more stubborn. And God caused his heart to be hardened just to get to the point where he recognized that you need me. You're already stubborn. Let me cause your heart to be even more hardened so that I have a chance to display my glory. And in verse 13 of Exodus 7, it says, his heart remained. 
Not because God wanted it to stay stubborn, but because Pharaoh refused to listen once his heart got to the place of allowing God to show him how magnificent he was. Because in his mind, he deserved everything because he was Pharaoh. He could not get his mind wrapped around that this adopted brother of his who walked away, who murdered someone, came back and was going to deliver the people. He didn't like that. So God hardened his heart to say, let me show you how much you need me. And then once God showed him how much he needed him and God got out of the hardening, it stayed hardened because he just did not want to accept anything. That's called pride before the fall. It's not that God never wanted Pharaoh. God purposed Pharaoh for glory. And then, God, and then Pharaoh said, y'all have the glory, I'll have mine. It's kind of like Lucifer in heaven seeing the glory of God and said, that's great, but I want some of it. And the moment he took some of it, boom, he fell to the earth like lightning. You see, through this all, God had a purpose. Is this explaining it pretty good? God doesn't care what position you hold. The plan was for Moses to lead them out, not Pharaoh. And the fact of the matter is, the only time that Pharaoh submitted to Moses' leading was when he was chasing him, trying to get him back. And it ended in his death. Could you imagine if he just walked with him after the plagues? Like, okay, yeah, God's real, let's go. No, he, he didn't do that. He chose, I, this is my country. This is my place. I'm the firstborn. I'm the oldest. I deserve. I, God said, no, you don't, and I'm going to show you. What if God is so good that he can harden a heart for a time so that he can display how good he is? But the real issue is we don't understand why, so we reject that. God can use temporary hardening for a purpose. Okay, you think you don't need me? I'll let you see how much you really don't need me. And your heart will cause to be hardened because of it. And then when he gets out of it, you can choose to, God, I need you, or God, you failed me. I'll handle it myself. Is, is, is this making sense? Look, Job chapter 11. Look at verses 7 through 9. Can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. Who are you? It is deeper than the underworld. What do you know? It is broader than the earth and wider than the sea. God knows how to do it better than any of us, and it's not for us to understand how or why. And some people don't like that idea because they're, that, that, that they are chosen for greatness. Because they define greatness as in the eyes of the flesh, not the kingdom. Jesus was the greatest of all, but his purpose was to come and die. But greatness for you is, I got to get a pulpit, and I got to have a ministry, and I got to have a lot of money, and I got to have a great house, and I got to have a lot of kids, and I got to get married, and I got to have wealth, and I got to have... Well, the purpose of Jesus was... His whole purpose was to come to be beaten and, and, and bleed for us and... And die for us. Be called names. Grow, grow, grow up under 
a class that wasn't considered first, second, or any. Verse 19. Well, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and the other to throw garbage into? And let's just get real. Isn't that, wasn't that Jesus' purpose, to take on the garbage of the world? Like, think, think, about, think about Jesus for a second. All of the garbage of mankind was dumped on him. It says the burden was so heavy on his shoulders that scholars say his heart most likely exploded, which is why they poked him and... He took on all the garbage and paid the debt because of the garbage. This all happened before we were made right and perfected, and now we're no longer controlled by our sin nature. Pharaoh was, and God said, since you're controlled, let me find a way to use you for my glory. God can use anything. He's even using Satan for his glory, and Satan don't even know it. Roam the earth, try all you want. They'll see how powerful I am and how defeated you are. God chooses to do what he wants. And I think with this jar for decoration and jar for garbage, who's to say jar for garbage is bad? Because we get, we get our mind around, well, why would God choose for some to be decorated and some to be garbage? Why are you defining garbage as a bad thing? Can't he use anything he wants for his purposes? And his purposes may not look great in your eyes of your flesh. Think about Paul for, for a moment. He was alone. All his life. He had a thorn in his flesh. He was preaching to people he murdered. Do you think they saw him as a man of decoration? Maybe the people of God did because they got his purpose. But do you think that his family and his friends thought, great decision, Saul? Look at where that got you. You went blind for, uh, you know, for a little while and then you opened your eyes and you were crazy. <laughs> Peter, you failed at fishing and now you're preaching about a guy who died and now you say he's living just because you couldn't catch any fish? That, that's your reasoning? Right? Verse 22, Romans 9, the same way. Even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he's very patient with those on whom his anger falls who are destined for destruction. They're destined for destruction because of what they're choosing. Not because God planned it for them. Why else would God be patient in his anger? The point of Pharaoh being hardened is so that he could see true power, but he chose destruction and was not destined for it. He simply rejected God. And the fruit of rejecting God is destruction. 
Verse 23. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. He has selected some among Israel and some not among Israel to represent true Israel. All those who were selected and prepared for glory are to lead others to him as well. See, that's where the miss is. We think elected is talking about people in heaven or hell. No, people were elected to lead the flipping way. It's called a remnant. Do you think the remnant are the only ones going to heaven? They're leading away for a greater awakening for what others were never elected to bring. You know why this is good for our church? It makes sense as to why God says, stay hidden and stay small. I don't know what small looks like all the way. I've got some ideas. I've got some things God's showing me. Because I'm not going to use the world's definition of small. Why has he told Relentless to stay hidden? There's a purpose for remnant people. And some people are called to it and some people ain't. That's why half the Savannah pastors hate me. But you know what happens, I'm finding out? When we push through what God's telling us, the ones that talk bad about me and this church and my family, they come and ask him for help. They come and ask him for, for wisdom. And my flesh wants to go, oh, yeah, you want my wisdom now. Right? That's our flesh. Like, ah, ha, ha, I told you so. No, but if we understand what we're purposed for, we humble ourselves and say, how can I meet the need and love you like Jesus loved me because you don't deserve what I got but I didn't deserve what I got either right right yeah real issues I heard that this was exposed Thursday night but I'm going to expose it right here because I think it's good if I may okay One thing that this house needs to get correct is we have got to stop focusing on all the things we do better and get right than other houses and start focusing on the weak places and say, God, refine us and show us and mold us. We've got to start saying, Lord, we're not going to pride ourselves in what we got right. We want to be humble to the fact that we always need you to walk on your path. So all this rhetoric about, I can't believe they do this. And can, we, can we just get that out of the language? And just start saying, Lord, where do you want us to go next? Refine us, show us, mold us, reveal to us. Is that too hard? I don't really care if it is, but. They were not destined to gloat and were destined. Well, how can you say that? Verse 25. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, 
Those who were not my people, I will now call my people. I will love those whom I did not love before. Y'all see how he's doing this. And then at the place when they were told, you're not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Those who are not, I choose you. Those who I rejected, you're no longer rejected. Those who weren't my people, now you're my people. Some were elected for a purpose to come into agreement with a greater one beyond their understanding for this. I needed y'all for when I chose the ones that were not chosen. And I've elected some of my chosen, and I've elected some of my not chosen for a purpose. This isn't talking about heaven and hell. Get the minds off of heaven and hell. We make everything about heaven and hell. I don't remember Jesus mentioning hell one time in his sermons. Why do we get obsessed with hell? We're not destined for there. It's not going to affect us. Why are we giving it our attention? That's like being given a buffet and you focus on the crap outside. Wait, let's get real. I know it's funny, but it's real. The real issue is that some people are never getting to the table. I'm getting my focus off of the stuff and getting my focus on, hey, the real issue is you're invited to dine with the Father. And you don't know him yet. So let's talk. Come see, see him through me. And if you were really obsessed with seeing him through me, you would be more apt to dine to you. You see, when you get obsessed with the real issue, the other issues get handled. You get obsessed with the real issue that people are lost. Lord, take whatever it is that is preventing them from seeing you off of me and out of me and throw it away so that they can see you. That's the real issue. How will they see you? You carry the presence of God. What is the presence? Face. How will they see him face to face? Looking at you. Verse 27. Considering Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. Why is only a remnant saved? Not because God only wants a remnant saved. It's because of the issue. People reject him even though he chose to take care of the old covenant with the mercy through his son. It's not that he said only a remnant is chosen to be saved. He's simply saying, as vast like sand on a seashore, I want them all, but only a few will. And that's an issue for the Father. So make it yours. Don't pride yourself that you're in the remnant. Get obsessed with everyone because I guarantee you there's more remnant that don't know him. 
It's not about predestined for a remnant and predestined not for a remnant. It's he's calling it like it is. Some will be and some won't. Now please go get whoever will come to know me. And to do that, you've got to go to them and you've got to deal with yourself. And it's not through law, it's through a relationship. If you start to see me face to face, maybe the, the glory of God will burn yours like the sun. And no one will see you anymore. What, what, if, what if we can be transfigured? You ever, seen, you ever seen someone through years of transformation, someone who didn't know Jesus, and then someone who did, and everyone says the same thing? You just look different, you talk different, you act different. Talk about the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Verses 30 through 33. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. It was by faith that this took place. Not by works. Not by getting all the commandments right. By what? Faith. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get it right with God, by keeping the law, they never succeeded. Why? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping law instead of trusting him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. He basically closes it out like this. He says, the ones responsible for our conditions is us, not God. You know who the stumbling block to Israel was? Jesus this is the last scripture. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 23. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. When we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Why is Jesus a stumbling block? We don't like to get beyond our understanding, so we put him in a box. We call it theology. We call it our beliefs. <clears throat> and when he does something outside of that box, it offends us and causes us to retreat into religion and blaming God. But that doesn't make sense what you just did. So you go back to, how can I prove that God didn't do that by my religion, by my box? God doesn't work like that today. Boom, it happens. That, that couldn't be God. Why? Because... It's a he's a stumbling block because you're trying to put him in the box and he doesn't operate by your box. You see, the real issue comes down to this. You got to trust that he's good. See, we have a responsibility to walk under his governing orders. Not to earn, but to walk out what we did not earn. The only way to succeed is to be led by him and governed by him. But don't you dare put success in a box. Because his definition of success is not our definition of success. 
Not out of this fleshly way of look what I can do. Rather, let God do what only he can do. And here is a willing servant for you to do it with. That's how we change the world. We got to let God be God through us. It's all to say this, the real issues pointed out in Romans 9 is we try to make everything so us-focused. Where we came from and, you know, what, what I went through and it's all me, 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 me. What do I need and what do I deserve and how am I going to get out of this and how am I going to get out of that and God, won't you do this for me and God, won't you do that and God's just like, I'm looking for a remnant who is more obsessed in serving me than asking me for more. Because they understand that everything I've given them is more than they ever deserved in the first place. People choose faith and theology based off how can this idea and governing system fit me when it's no, no, no. How can his government change me? I want to get in line with him. I don't want to try to get him in line with me. Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what do you want for my life? God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And the, the, the purpose is not so that you get ahead, but so that the person or the issue or the situation does one thing, see his face. What if the way God wanted you to handle an issue would cause something in your eyes that's bad for you? But you won't do it because you're not obsessed with people seeing his face. You're obsessed with your security, even though you claim you're secure in him. What is the real issue? It all comes down to this church. We've got to be obsessed with him getting everything, all the glory. You know, the great thing about God is he says, we go from glory to glory to glory. That means we never reach a destination while we're here. It's, it's always... It's not I serve my time. You'll never stop having a time. I heard, a, I heard a great man of God say this this week. And I don't know if this is true or not. I'm just quoting them just to give you a perspective. Hear me out. He said, I don't believe that any revival was ever supposed to stop. Because we go from glory to glory. Not display glory and stop so that I can choose to do it again so that y'all can have all these monuments to visit when you feel like you suck. <laughs> Let's be real. They were never supposed to stop. And the reason they stopped is because his government was taken out of it. And he was talking, I'm, I'm, I'm done with my message, but I'm going to talk about this for a minute to close out. He was talking about a, a revival that many of you are probably familiar with called Brownsville. He said he was going up to Brownsville, I think it was Assembly of God, and he walked up to the campus and he said, look, the grass hadn't been cut in years. And they were replacing the name from Brownsville Assembly, this is like two weeks ago, to just Brownsville Church. And he just stood there and just saw what used to be a place where people stood in line 
for hours upon hours just to get in to a place that just looked like a dump. The glory was never supposed to be lifted. It was supposed to continue. The glory of God is not supposed to manifest in a great event. God was speaking to me this week about like a light bulb went off in my head. And it may be trivial to you. But in the seven years with Relentless, I've always wanted to, well, we got to train people up so that we can go out, right? That's, that's a, everyone does that. That's a good notion. But something just clicked this week, and God was just like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to get train people so that you can send them out, so that you can report what you did. I just want you to train people and, and teach them how to do so that they can be my face wherever they are. And when the occasion calls for it, it happens. Don't make me an event, Kyle. But isn't that what we do with everything in the church? We make everything about an event. We make everything about this thing. We make everything about this moment. And God's like, I never want the moment to stop. I want it to go from glory to glory to glory. Manifest my, the weight of my presence, the weight and the, the significance of my face more and 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 more. And when that happens, everyone will at least get the opportunity to see who I am. And people who are obsessed with the real issue will get on the road for that journey. Let God govern us. Let God have his way so that everything we walk into and touch and talk about, they'll see his face. That's the real issue. Let the world see him. Let the church see him through willing vessels. Amen.